podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. It is the first episode of this week. Texans, we're into that period of time between off-season activities, the early ones in training camp, uh, but no shortage of things to talk about as we welcome you in, uh, whether you're listening on the Odyssey app or whether you are listening wherever it is you get your podcast from, we appreciate you tuning in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing great, and I hope since you got three kids, you had a great Father's Day. I did. I did. I had a great Father's Day. I get to spend time with one of them, the one that lives here, Sammy Sickham, right? Uh, proud Baylor alum. Yeah, he went out to lunch with me and my wife and my in-laws, so we had a nice, we had a nice day. And then he came over and sat in my chair, and uh, we watched the Astros lose on this wall behind us, right over here. So yeah, I noticed you strategically have the wall. Mm-hmm now that you didn't have it before yeah yeah I th- well i know is you there like any it. reason for that i think it's a good looking background more than anything else you know i, th- I think it's uh I-, I think it's just a it adds a little flavor to the background amy put up the she before she leaves i kick her out of the apartment when it's time to do the podcast but she's kind enough to put it on youtube channels that just show beaches for 12 hours at a time you know? I think it looks great. I thought you might have put it up to torture me. No, no. It's more for the benefit, the eye candy of our YouTube channel that is a, now a burgeoning thing for us here. Oh, uh, no. You know, I don't like to tease you like that, John. You know that. Come on now. Well, I have a great background, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody, a friend of mine I do a Zoom with every week, and they said, I look like I'm in a sauna. And then they came up with another one that said, you look like you're in the basement where we used to go to party with our girlfriends in middle school. You do, John. You look like every parent's basement from 1973. (laughs) That is true. I'm in a den, and I've tried to get Carol to let me put some pictures on this wall, even if it's just of our cat shadow, but she likes it being like this. I guess I could put one of those backgrounds in there but yeah i i get so you get comments because yours is great i get comments because mine's bad that's that's funny and it serves for a little bit of humor and happy john happy father's day to you you are a father to shadow and how many other pets that's it just shadow Shadow. okay shadow keep you he keep shadow keeps you busy though huh and he gave me a present it was very nice oh that's nice what do he give you two cards and a pack of jelly beans (laughs) which i did not eat a boy. But it was a thought that counts. Of course. Good job, Shadow. Um, all right, John, let's get right down to things here. Um, we've got uh, – we uh, Seth and I interviewed Nick Casario, Texans GM, on Friday on Pain and Pendergast. You can find that interview. Same way you can find this podcast, on the Odyssey app, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, he spent about 45 minutes in studio with us, John. Um, was really good. Uh, good candor, I thought, from Nick. He just seems – he seems to have a different energy about him now that D'Amico's in the building there and things seem to be trending in the right direction with this team. I, I think you guys always get the best of Casario. You know, he, when he's standing in front of a, um, a news conference, he's so, he talks a lot, you know, 90 miles an hour, and you have to sift through the nuggets 
if he gives any, because he's so careful, because usually when he talks to us, the draft's coming up, the season's coming up. He's much more relaxed with Mm y'all. I think it's because you talk to him about things other than football. Mm -hmm. But getting him to come into the studio that long, that was a real coup. So congratulations, because he's always interesting and much more informative with you and Seth than he is Seth when he does – the news conference. Yeah. Well, he, and he had a few little things I thought in here. I mean, we need to, even with the stuff he comes on with us, sometimes you got to sift through it a little bit, but um, he, he was, uh, he was pretty forthcoming about a few things. I'm going to touch on some of them here. We won't get to all of them. Obviously we, if you want to listen to the entire interview again, you can get it on the Odyssey app or sportsradio610.com. We're going to have some of the things that uh, John and I learned from the off season program coming up in just a little bit as well. And a little for real or Fugazi later on in the program. So stay tuned for that. But as far as some things, John, um, we talked about the rookies with him. And I, the only ones I brought up by name were Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. And even when Seth tried to get some other ones singled out, he wouldn't do it. But it was shortly after Seth had asked that question after Nick had voluntarily singled out Henry Toa Toa, the linebacker out of Alabama. So, he, you know, he answered our questions about Will. We'll talk about that in a second. Answered questions about C.J. Stroud. And while he was answering, I believe, one of the questions about Will, he veered into about a minute on how quickly Henry Toa Toa, the linebacker from Alabama, is picking things up. I thought that was significant from Casario. Uh, I watched almost every Alabama game the last two years. I wanted to see Bill O'Brien and what he was going to do coaching the Crimson Tide. And then I fell in love with Bryce Young uh, because he was on his way to the Heisman. And every time I was watching, I kept hearing Toa Toa, Toa Toa, and I'm thinking, how do you spell Toa Toa? And so I finally looked it up, and I thought, man, I hope I don't have to type that name all the time, much less pronounce it. And then when they drafted him, I thought they got a steal when they did. And for Casario to single somebody out, which is very unusual, he has that Patriot mentality. You ask about a player, he talks about a position he's much more forthcoming with you guys and I thought he was terrific and there's a good chance Texans could be playing two Alabama linebackers yeah quite a bit yep no doubt about that well two Alabama linebackers and then whatever we're calling Will Anderson uh you know it's a it's a nine technique or a defensive end I mean there could be three young Alabama players out there uh including Will Anderson which brings us to the next takeaway from the Nick Casario interview with Seth and I on Sports Radio 610 um Obviously loves Will Anderson, said that he probably – they actually need to dial him back sometimes in these off-season workouts because he's so intense and he plays with his hair on fire. Um, but he was pretty revealing with how they envision using him. He said they've been moving him from the right side to the left side, which shows you that he's picking things up pretty quickly. His acumen is good. And he said they're also toying with the idea of playing him inside on passing downs just to get their best four pass rushers out there. So there's there appears to be already – I mean, we knew they had – a some sort of plan in place when they drafted him. Anderson had said that in some pre-draft interviews about, hey, how did this – if you go to the Texans, you know, what, what are they talking about with you? Um, but I thought Nick was pretty forthcoming with how he's been shuffled around and used in these in these uh, early off-season workouts. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's told us he's a defensive end, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it would be stupid to play him inside because then you're going to get beat on by the big guys and you're going to get doubled by a guard and a center where if they have him on the edge – he'd be going against an end unless they put – he's so good. They put a tight end over there to help, which could happen a lot because he's a terrific pass rusher. It's obvious to Miko and Casario love the guy. 
and he's going to start from day one. You know, it's interesting the way they approach and so careful with Stroud, but they admit how much they love Anderson, how impressive he's been, how he picks up everything. I can't wait to see him. He and B. John Robinson are the favorites to win uh, defensive and offensive rookie of the year. I've seen some people pick Bryce Young, but it's rare for a rookie quarterback to play well enough to be voted offensive rookie of the year. I can't wait to see Will Anderson because I've seen most of his games in uh, the last two years. And when he won the Rotary Lombardi Award, I was up on the dais with Mattress Mac because Mac's the one that presented it to him. Mm. And I had to make a presentation. And I thought at the time, this was the first week in December. And I thought, man, man, oh, man, what it would be like if the Texans got a pass rusher like him because he's the best in the draft. And I thought, but there's no way they're going to bypass a quarterback for him because of that desperate need. And, of course, when they trade up, I was shocked in a great way because I thought back to watching him play all those games the last two years. I can't wait to see Will Anderson on the field. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited for him. Just I'm excited for the player, but he seems like he's going to be a fun guy to cover for us as well. Just a really great personality, too, with um, with Will Anderson. All right, a couple more takeaways from the Casario interview uh, on Sports Radio 610 with me and Seth Payne last week. John, it sounds like that Nick, we, we talked about, I asked him about the extensions they've given out so far this year, that they're all in the trenches. You know, two, Shaq Mason, Laramie Tunsil, and then the Malik Collins extension last week. And Nick said, well, our belief is to build from the inside out. So that's not a coincidence. That's the focal point for Casario. He did mention that uh, there are other players who are in contract years and that they're not married to any sort of calendar as far as when an extension could come down, including in season, which is a big departure from regimes past with the Texans, which would use week one as sort of a, a barrier, you know, as sort of a, a, an end point to any sort of negotiations. Um, so I, I would just the tone that he took, John, in that answer, I feel like there's at least one or two more of these coming down, these extensions for veteran guys possibly. Well, the one they'd love to get is Titus Howard, but they can't pay two offensive tackles great money. You just can't do it. And Titus has shown he can play left tackle and he can play guard. So I would imagine Titus Howard's headed for a big payday if he stays healthy and plays the way he's capable because I just don't see them earmarking that kind of money for a right tackle when you've made Laramie Tunsil the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. And when we look on their defense next year, I think their biggest needs are going to be a guy to play next to Malik Collins who can rush the quarterback, which Malik doesn't do. And somebody, and actually Grenard and Hughes on the last year, their contracts, they, Mm -hmm. Jerry's going to be 35 years old. And you don't see many 36-year-old defensive ends because this could be it for him. And Grenard, you know, he hadn't been able to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy here, he's capable of double digits. And then you you could, because Will Anderson is cheap against the cap, you could re-sign Grenard. But they still need, to me, uh, Grenard or another end and definitely defensive tackle. And I'm guessing, and I'm guessing you'll agree with me, their biggest need on offense right now is still a big play receiver who yeah. can stretch the defense. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely. That's the biggest need right now. Um, is uh, is a big play receiver. You know, we'll see. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a spread the wealth thing kind of this year for the Texans uh, offensively for sure. 
Um, the last thing, John, last thing from the Casario interview, then we'll get to things that we learned, a few things we learned from the offseason program. Um, he called Jay Watt a mother effer. His exact words. He thankfully didn't use the full-on F word because of the FCC governance, but he said uh, he said uh, he was describing – I asked him, with J.J. Watt going in the Ring of Honor, give me a New England perspective on J.J. Watt, preparing for him, what that was like. And, of course, he talked about how he can wreck a game. He's amazing. Um, and he said the biggest thing that he could do, the most underrated thing that he could do, was his ability to track down plays from the backside, running plays. The ability to come, like, say, from the left and tackle – from the left side of the defensive line and tackle a running back who's running away from that side of the line because he was so quick and he was able to beat beat guys. Um, he said, man, there was a game we played in Houston, New England, and he said, we had a, we had this big plan to stop J.J. Watt, and we run away from him, and then the mother effer gets us in the backfield in a second and 13 all of a sudden. Um, and he talked to John about the conversation that he and J.J. had when the Texans – let J.J. go so he could leave in free agency to eventually go to Arizona. He said he and J.J. had a really, really good conversation in those early weeks of the Casario era. There's tremendous respect from Nick Casario for J.J. Watt. And I'm guessing he's too nice to point out they did a better job against Watt than any team in the league. You know, the Patriots are notorious for targeting one guy. Mm -hmm. There's one guy on defense or one guy on offense Besides the quarterback, we've got to take him out and neutralize him. And they did a tremendous job. So Nick watched a whole lot of tape because Nick was part of a coaching staff. You know, he was up in the booth helping uh, Josh McDaniels. And so they would watched a, he would have watched a lot of tape of J.J. So he knew how great J.J. could be. And uh, I'd love to know the secret of what they did but he's never going to reveal that. You know, great respect. Everybody has great respect for Watt, and it's going to be so exciting to see his jersey up in the rafters when uh, the Steelers are in town. Yeah, that'll be great. October the 1st, week four is when that's happening. Um, so you can get that full Nick Casario interview on sportsradio610.com and or the Odyssey app on the Payne and Pendergast podcast. Um, John, let's shift gears. The offseason program as a whole, you're going to have a piece going up on sportsradio610.com with – 10 things that you learned from the Texans offseason program. Uh, do you care to go Costco here and give us some samples of what we could see in that piece there? Sure. Uh, I do have up one up uh, on Monday morning mm -hmm. about what a disaster the Astros have become. We'll get to them, I promise. Yeah. Losing two, Having two four-game losing streaks in 13 days. Yeah. And uh, the thing about the 10, I'm going to do one uh, this week in which 10 that we learned from offseason program, and then I'm going to do one later as training camp gets closer, saying 10 things they need to accomplish in uh, training camp and preseason. Yeah. And the one of the things that stands out to me is the most important player on the team, C.J. Stroud, is how hard he works. Uh, he's a football fanatic. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe they just don't talk about this, that but other quarterbacks do it that they talk he talks to the defensive players and the defensive coaches uh, to ask questions as well as his teammates on offense and of course Bobby Slowick the offensive coordinator and Rod Johnson the quarterback's coach so his eagerness to learn and and devote so much time to learning Slowick's system mm -hmm. that's the thing that is that has stood out to me and 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 listening to players praise him 
and his knowledge and that eagerness. The the cross sport comparison that I made to CJ Stroud, and maybe it's maybe the timeliness of this one isn't great considering how poorly the Astros are playing, although this guy had a good game yesterday, I suppose. He reminds me a lot of Alex Bregman uh, in that, you know, Bregman is the guy, John, that when they win the World Series a few years, not last year, but a few years ago, the big joke was that Alex Bregman, they got done doing all the champagne and they all said Alex Bregman was in a batting cage the next day. You know, Bregman is kind of the guy who's sort of the baseball gym rat, kind of the junkie, you know, about baseball. And I get that same vibe off of C.J. Stroud. Like C.J. Stroud strikes me as a guy who they win the Super Bowl, they get off of the floats, and then the next day he's doing footwork drills somewhere to get ready for the next season. Yeah, they, uh, uh, everybody's fired up about Stroud. He's going to have his ups and downs, yeah. and he's going to make a lot of mistakes, whereas Will Anderson, his mistakes, he's going to make them, but they're not going to be as noticeable as, mm-hmm. as a quarterback's will. So those top two picks, uh, they're, they could both be outstanding. Maybe not the first year. Remember, J.J. wasn't outstanding as a rookie. Had, I think five and a half sacks. Yeah. It wasn't until the playoff victory over Cincinnati when the J.J. Watt phenomenon was born. That's true. Um, you got any other nuggets you want to give the people, John, that they might find in that article? Yeah, a lot of people worried about Laramie Tunsil missing all that time again. But watching him out there, and he's he's like putting your foot in a, a comfortable house shoe. He just slips right in. Yeah. And you doesn't miss a beat. Now, he's a great pass protector. He's not a great run blocker. I think I, I I can't figure out how this is going to work. Stroud did not have the left side of the line, and he may not add his center because Quisenberry is not going to be starting. Eventually, it's going to be Juice Scruggs. So the center, left guard, and left tackle weren't there at all together starting. But they're going to. You know, we don't know when Kenyon Green's coming back. But Tunsil, he's the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. He's the safest bet that anybody can can have about a player who's going to do well. And the other one was Derek Stingley Jr. A lot of people around the country said, oh, that guy's not as good as Sauce Gardner, and he wasn't, even though he was taken ahead of him. But he's going to be used differently. And he looks like he's in a weight program, and he's gotten stout. Mm-hmm. And I was watching him one time run down the sideline, man coverage. I can't remember which receiver it was but it was a fast one. And he stuck with him in the past last minute. He leaped and he knocked the ball away and his teammates came over and pat him on the back. Cause they know that's why he was drafted. He looks, he looks because he's healthy and he's put on weight, which makes him stronger. He looks like a big time player. Yeah. Knock on wood with that health thing with Derek Stingley jr. For sure. Um, all right. So John, we'll be able to see that article up on sports radio, They want to get the other, seven or eight things that you learned from the Texans offseason program. That'll be going up this week. Yes, it will. All right. Good stuff. We're looking forward to that for sure. Um, All right. Before we get to some for real or fugazis, let's mix in some Astros talk here. As John just mentioned, as we record this, they're in the midst of their second four game losing streak in the last two weeks. And they had a real opportunity to make some headway in the AL West, John, with the, the Rangers have not had a great week either. And the Astros actually find themselves further behind the Rangers than they were when this stretch of poor Rangers baseball started uh, recently. In fact, the Astros, for the first time in a long time, uh, find them at this juncture in the season, find themselves in third place in the AL West. Now that we're on YouTube, I can show what I think about them. 
without I was saying. wondering what you were doing. I'm holding my nose because I, I was like, they stink. John I was wondering a, when you were going to ask what I was doing. I, John, I was looking down at my paper and I looked up. I'm like, does John have a bloody nose? Like, well, I thought maybe you thought you had a nosebleed or something. Is John gouging away on there and he has a bloody nose now? So, yeah. They, they the stink. way they're blowing leads, they're and the, yes, they have injuries. <laughs> I detail all their injuries in that column on Sports Radio 610.com. But that's not the problem. The, because blowing lead like that and they they and getting swept by the Reds, even though the Reds are red hot, it's inexcusable because their best players are not producing. Uh, you look at the bullpen. Rafael Montero's been terrible. Ryan Stanek's been Ooh. terrible. They were terrific last year. Yeah. Ryan Presley had given up runs in three games in a row. Cost Fromber and Christian Javier great outings, and he he did come back against the Reds and pitch a good inning. Phil Maton has been their best reliever, and he got shelled by yeah. the Reds, but he bounced back with a good inning on on Sunday. And then looking at the hitters, all these Jose Abreu defenders, it's laughable because he has a couple of good weeks, but overall he's still been a big disappointment. And and he is not generating any consistency. He's awful on Sunday. Jeremy Pena is not the player he was at the end of last year when he was MVP of the ALCS and the World Series. Bregman is about on the pace he had last year for home runs and, RB, and RBIs, but less on his average. And Kyle Tucker last year, 30 homers, 107 RBIs, hit 257. He's way under the pace of both of those, but he's hitting 285, and his on-base percentage is up. But and, and Altuve's only played 20 games. Yeah, and I, some things I don't understand that Dusty Baker does. Yiner Diaz has four hits last week, not playing the next day. Altuve four hits, not playing the next day. Okay, I for a guy like Diaz who who needs confidence, and I know you tweeted this, and I did too. That kid's got to be in the lineup. Gotcha. He's red hot. Got you got him and Corey Jules and even Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick and especially Mauricio Dubon. Those guys are doing as well as they can do. I don't blame J.P. France, Brandon Belak, or Ronel Blanco. They wouldn't even be in a rotation if it wasn't for the injuries. But the players who have been good have to be good again consistently. It's their worst record for 72 games since 2016 last time they didn't make the playoffs and do you know the last time the rangers had a record better than this and what they did and what year that was uh 20 the last time they had a record better than this 2016 they won that's the right that year. yeah they they had a 70 they played 71 games yeah and the last time they had a better record was 16 when they won the division while the astros were watching them Big flat screen TV. Yeah, like that. I don't know. The Rangers are, you know, they got within three and a half, stunk it up against the Reds, five and a half. The Angels are ahead of them. The Mariners are three games behind. At this point, Sean, all we can say for sure is they're not going to finish in last place in the West. No, that's impossible. Yeah, no, they could, John, you and I, they could put you and I as a double play combination. They're still going to finish ahead of the A's. All right, I'm about I'm about to post this. We're going to do some for real or Fugazi's rapid fire style in a second. But, John, I just want to get your quick answer to the question I'm about to put up on Twitter on a Pender poll. For Astro fans, who do you most blame for the team's slow start? The four choices, the players, 
Crane Bag, Interim GM, Dusty Baker, Dana Brown. Uh, the players. D Dana Brown didn't get here quick enough yeah. to get any blame. It's the players because of the reasons I just gave. Their best players who are healthy are not producing the way they have. Yep, agreed. I'm, I'm with you. Um, to me, it's players. I think there's blame to go around for everybody. Yes, least of all Dana Brown. Like Dana Brown is going to Dana Brown's going to spend more time fixing the problems that Cranebag interim GM created this year than actually being able to go out and forge his own forge his own uh, his own path with this team. So one of the things that the Braves did when he was there, they give long term contracts for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They do things that the uh, Astros don't do. I wonder Kyle Tucker's hitting uh, two eighty five compared to two fifty seven last year and even though he's not on a pace for 30 homers and 107 RBIs uh, I, I wondered if they had paid him the extra two and a half million to avoid arbitration because he came in he was unhappy would he be better but uh, I'm guessing no I'd love to see what Tucker could do all the time hitting behind Alvarez and maybe put put Pena behind him and dump a Brayu. You know, they, they have a great record when Pena bats two, but they're not batting him two anymore. Yeah, I don't understand. And, and Bregman's a great cleanup hitter. I, like I was saying when, 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 when Altuve was out earlier in the year, I'm like, man, they just need to get Altuve back, get Pena in the two, Bregman in the four, where everybody's comfortable, and obviously Altuve leading off. And, um, and Dusty did that for a little while. Both guys were hitting, and then he starts moving them around. I don't I – don't, Dusty might be second on the list, honestly, the way these lineups have been. Um, all right, so I just put that up on Twitter and um, that poll. Who's most to blame for the Astros' slow start? All right, John, you ready for a few rapid fire for real or fugazis? Always. Always ready. Okay, for those of you who are new to the pod, just tuning in, we appreciate you. First, A, tell a friend. Um, B, this is called for real or fugazi. We do this generally on Mondays. Um, I'll take uh, I'll take five or six topics, just quick one-hit sentences. I'll read them as if they are fact. If John agrees with them as if they are fact, he will say for real. If he disagrees with them, he thinks I'm way off, he thinks I'm out of my tree, uh, John will say, Bugazi. Bugazi. It's Italian for counterfeit. All right, John, so let's, let's rock and roll here. Let's start with a couple Texans ones. Um, the biggest data point for C.J. Stroud in the preseason – as far as evaluating him, will be the combined practices with Miami and the New Orleans Saints. For real or Fugazi? For real. He's going to have four practices against them. And, of course, he'll wear a red jersey and he can't be touched. But his receivers are going to be covered. The linemen are going to be rushing him. They won't hit him. And uh, it'll, it'll be a great uh, test for him. And then, of course, he'll get in at least two of the games, maybe three, but I can't wait to see him in those joint practices. I can't either. That's going to be fun. We haven't had those, John, in about four years, right? No, Colleen and Lovey Smith didn't want to do them. It's, uh, you know, Nick Casario did them every year in New England, and but they leave it up to the head coach, and Domenico's all for it. Yep. All right, next one, sticking with the Texans. 2023 is a make-or-break season for wide receiver Nico Collins. For real or Fugazi? For real, again, he's been there two years. He's been hurt too much. Remember, he he was he didn't play his last year at Michigan. He's a third round pick. He's he's just showed enough to be so enticing. His size, his speed, his acrobatic catches in camp last year, but he just couldn't stay healthy. And you know, 
they're going to address wide receiver next year more than they did this year when they drafted two. It's a huge year for Nico Collins. He's got to prove he can stay on the field more than anything else. He's he's officially injury prone, John. It's you know it's because it's not just been one injury. It's been three or four different ones that have kept him off of the field. So he's he is officially, according to Doctor Pendergast, injury prone. All right, next one. He's John. got a chance to make a lot of money if he yeah. stays healthy, and plays well. He'll get an extension before the last year of his contract. I agree. All right, next one, John. There was a story that came out over the weekend that Aaron Rodgers nixed a possible trade to the New England Patriots in the offseason. Of course, he wound up with the Jets. For real or Fugazi, Aaron Rodgers would have been better off going to the New England Patriots than the New York Jets. Fugazi, Aaron Rodgers, idiosyncrasies, and and Bill Belichick. Can you imagine if Belichick had Rodgers and DeAndre Hopkins? Oh, yes. And so Rodgers wanted – he said he wanted to go to the Jets – all along. Yeah. And that story may be true. It would have meant, meant they'd given up on Mac Jones because Rogers has said, but in the past, before he went into the darkness, it, that he wanted to play a lot of more years. Mm-hmm. And then because he was unhappy the last two years with the Packers, he wouldn't say anything except that year. So I expect if he plays well for the Jets, he's going to keep playing as long as he plays oh, yeah. well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, all right, sticking with the theme of Green Bay, I guess. Um, Jordan Love recently said in an interview that the sky is the limit for Green Bay's offense this year. John Ferreira Fugazi, the Green Bay Packers, in the first year post Aaron Rodgers, will finish in the upper half of the league in scoring. Ferreira Fugazi. Fugazi. They just gave up a quarterback's one of the all time best. I'll see some people say greatest ever, and I want to throw up, but he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Jordan Love, who boy, they've been so lucky. Going back to the Brett Favre trade, it that was initiated by Ron Wolf, the GM, and then with no interest in a quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers was there. General Manager Ted Thompson took him, and he watched for three years. Those were two tremendous decisions. They got to suffer a little bit. You know, the Texans have suffered a long time over quarterbacks yeah. for one reason or another. Yeah. It's time the Packers suffered. And it might not be Jordan Love's fault, but I don't see their offense being that high, high that prolific that they're going to rank that high. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think that's a Fugazi as well. All right, two more, John. Let's do an Astros one here. Uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star teams will be named by the end of the month. For real or Fugazi, Framber Valdez will be the lone all-star game representative for the Houston Astros. Let me think one quick. I think that's for real. Yeah. Unless Kyle Tucker starts hitting some home runs and RBIs, his average is good. But there's so many good outfielders. Yeah. yeah. You know, I look at the Rangers. I look at a lot of teams. I read every box score mm-hmm. every night. All these teams have guys with 300 hitters and double-digit home runs. And, the, and some teams have four or five, and the Astros just struggling at the plate. Lack mm-hmm. of consistency. You know, Bregman been in a slump till he got – uh, three hits against the Reds in the last game, and yeah. and he's been up and down. But anyway, I think that'll in uh, now you can research this. What is the fewest number of All Star selections the year after a team wins the World Series? It's a great question. I don't know. That feels like one we could throw to one of those stats websites, and maybe they'll spit it back out to us. That's a great question because every team's got to have at least one. 
but usually just one, that designation is reserved for teams that aren't very good, as, you're, as you point out. Now, I, if Jordan Alvarez were healthy, he would clearly be going to the All-Star game. And he may get voted in. You know, he, he, he was among the top three in the fan voting for outfielders um, at the first, you know, at the first uh, release of the voting, the, the, you know, the initial wave of voting tabulations. He was third among outfielders behind Judge and Trout. Because um, Otani is listed as a DH on the ballot, um, and Jordan's an outfielder on the ballot, so the top six outfielders will go to that run. They do that runoff now, you know, John, where they take the top two at every position, top six in the outfield, and Altuve is second at second base right now, but he's way behind Marcus Simeon, who's probably going to win the runoff against him. I would well, first of all, if Alvarez is healthy, he'll be there, yeah. even if he just comes back for a week before the selections are made. Yeah, and if he doesn't get voted in. You know he's going to get selected, yeah. and but uh, and I wish Alvarez was were healthy and would compete in the home run derby. Yeah, I that's would never love happened. to see what he could do. Yeah. Ronald Acuna hit like five or six home runs at 460 feet. Yeah, boy, I'd love to see those guys together. And I've never seen a good explanation of why he doesn't do it. But don't you know Major League Baseball would love to have him in there? I would predict he will never do the home run derby because of how how injury prone he is, you know, it's, you know, if he got an oblique issue, there's no way he'd do it this year. Even if he were healthy, there's no way he'd do it this year coming off a four week of oblique. The one good thing about Alvarez, well, many good things about Alvarez, but within the context of this conversation and the injuries, the one thing I'm not concerned about as soon as it's time for him to play again, I don't even know that he needs time in Sugar Land. He, he, he's a guy who can pick up a bat and just start hitting, you know, after not hitting for a month. Right. They'd have to bring in some more stands. They set the all-time record with they would. Altuve. Oh, they'd have, dude. have to bring or jack up the prices. They'd be scalping them. Yep. You know, the injury that he has, you got to be so careful because you can strain it again. Yes. And it'd be worse. It's almost like when he's 100%, they got to wait another week. Yep. Especially the guy that swings as hard as Exactly. Can. Exactly. All right. Last one, John. When uh, when Jake Myers made the uh, circus catch in the outfield to preserve Hunter Brown's win last week, Hunter Brown said he's treating Jake Myers to the butter cake at Mastro's. For real or fugazi, John, the Mastro's butter cake is the best dessert in the city of Houston. Well, I've I've only been able to eat at Mastro's once because I can't afford it. But since it's Tillman Fertitta's restaurant, I'll say that's for real. Yeah, it's really good. Amy and I went there. We won a weekend at the Post Oak at the Texans like season premiere event the Texans had last year. We were we won one of the raffles uh, for we won a two night stay at the Post Oak Tillman Fertitta's hotel. So we we sell we kind of celebrated our anniversary like two months later, and we went to Mastro's the night we were there. I'm same as you. I that's like the second time I've been. To, I think it's the first time I've ever been where I've actually been the one paying. You know, usually I. <laughs> Try to piggyback Wallace Marsh when he goes to Mastro's. That's my methodology. Um, they have an off-the-menu version of the butter cake that has blueberry. It's like a blueberry butter cake with a big scoop of ice cream on top You're of it. You're killing me. It's killing so me. good, John. So oh, good. Yeah, God. it's delish. Um, all right, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? I have a column on SportsRadio610.com on the Astros. I have... Uh, Utopia Football Podcast with uh, Sean Pendergast, who I'm on the air with every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. And I'll have 10 things we learned about the Texans in uh, the offseason program. 
John, good stuff as always. I enjoyed this very much. Sean, I always do. Thank you very much. And I'm glad that you were able to celebrate Father's Day with Slinging Sammy. <laughs> yeah, at least one of my three. The other two FaceTime me, so it's all good. Um, big thanks to uh, James Jackson, who does a great job getting this podcast out to each and every one of you. If you are just finding this podcast and you want to make sure, hey, I like these guys. I like these Sean and John guys. I like them. They're informative and they're entertaining and they're funny. Um, and I like the Texans. Well, just hit subscribe and then you don't have to do anything. It just shows right up wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star review if you think we deserve it as well. Uh, but yeah, download this podcast wherever it is you get it. Season's going to be here before we know it, but we're going to keep things going even during the off-season with two episodes a week. Mailbag episode coming up later this week. Email your questions in, mailbag at gmail.com, mailbag at gmail.com. So we'll see you in a couple days for that episode for uh, John McClain and for our producer James we are done we are out of time I'm Sean Pendergast we'll see all of y'all later on this week on the Utopia Football Podcast thanks everybody <laughs>